Hey guys, Pastor Matt Chandler here. Uh, one of the themes that comes out in The Overcomers over and over and over again is the centrality of God's word to encourage and build up his saints. It's why I love uh, Dwell Bible app. It's an app for listening. Uh, I, I kind of use it in the margins of my day. I like to listen to, depending on my mood, uh, Mark or Felix throw on some ambient music and then in my truck or in my study or uh, in a few minutes between this meeting going into that, soak again in the word of God. Uh, they, they've given us kind of an awesome deal here for a yearly subscription. If you go to dwellbible.com backslash overcomers, they're giving us 25% off an annual subscription. So if you're looking for more Bible in your life, in the margins of your life, not just kind of traditionally listening, but listening while you work, listening while you drive. I couldn't recommend the Dwell Bible app more highly. One of the things we said and prayed for was, God, if you're going to take him, just take him when he's four weeks old. Please don't let us grow to love him and be attached to him. Because yeah. I didn't want to have to grieve the loss of hearing him say mom, yeah. hearing him say dad, and know what it sounded like. And I just thought it was so cruel of the Lord yeah. to let him grow to be so vibrant and then have the have the anxiety of what if he what if he dies now this is pastor matt chandler and just as a reminder um th this podcast what we're trying to do uh is tell stories of everyday men and women no blue checks no uh, no famous people, just everyday faithful men and women following hard after Jesus and navigating really some of the more difficult and painful things that can befall us uh, this side of glory. And so uh, I think this episode in particular will be, it has some potential um, to be triggering um, around anxiety or fear or th there's some there's some significant weight to this episode. I, I think all of these carry a bit of a weight to them. This is this one in particular for me. Maybe it's because uh, I'm close to Vince and Katie. Maybe it's because I, I got to be part of this story um, in some ways. It 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 is. I have been shocked even today at the rise of my own emotional difficulties in just trying to write out the script and the questions for us to to talk through. And so, uh, Vince and Katie Dang. Uh, have been at the church quite a while, Vince on staff for a little while in our IT department before that, police officer and um, Katie, a teacher, and uh, they have served in a variety of ways um, across the life of our church. And they, uh, we'll, we'll dive into some of the details of this, lost a son in a pretty, it, it was a hard, it was a hard run. And um, and we're going to, we're going to dive into uh, a son getting sick and how to navigate those illnesses on into um, ultimately, Charlie going home to be with the Lord. And then what does life look like after that? And how do you navigate after that? And so this is going to be a real honest conversation. And I, I don't know if it's one where you you want the kids in the car or you uh, this might be one that it's just best that uh, it's just us grownups 
looking at um, some hard things through the lens of um, Jesus being good, uh, even as hard as that can be in believing that in some seasons. So Vince and Katie, thanks for being on with me. I know this will be a ride for all three of us, but thank you for being willing to step in. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, so here's how here's how I think it would be helpful to start. April 15th, 2018, right? It's the day before Charlie's born. Uh, I think Jack's closing in on his second birthday or he's two yeah. already. Yeah. And he is here. full of life and energy and you guys have been married a while and you, you had um, kind of jobs that were um, kind of, you, you, were, you were getting into kind of that rhythm of, oh, we know our careers. We know what we're supposed to be doing. We know, and you're on the cusp of this new baby boy, and now there's going to be two little boys destroying your house. And talk a little bit about um, life and expectation about life the day before Charlie's born. I mean, I know we were both excited, um, obviously, as uh, parents of <clears throat> someone who's going to have a second boy. I, I don't know. To me, it felt like life is starting to like fall into place, mm -hmm. like kind of be a little bit not easy in the sense of like everything was perfect, but um, it was like, okay, second kid, we have a house now, we both have our jobs, and we definitely felt that. In the background of that, through from the beginning parts of my pregnancy with Charlie, who was the, the son that we lost, so, something felt wrong just in my what I now know as my, um, the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Okay. But I didn't understand that's what that was then. Yeah. And I would ask uh, my gynecologist, like, is everything okay? Like every appointment. And she uh, assured me that it was. And so um, I told Vince, like, hey, something feels off and it doesn't feel like a sense of doom. It feels factual. Like okay. something is wrong. We were kind of thinking miscarriage. Or I something. was very prepared to miscarry. Okay. And then we had him on the April 16th, and it was a super easy delivery, no complications. Vince dropped Jack off at school and picked him up. And during that time, I had a baby. Come on. Like, <laughs> it was just very simple. And, and yeah. for the record, like, he's two. He's he two. wasn't in school for— uh, No, no, yeah. It wasn't like an eight-hour day. Right. No. It wasn't like pre-K, eight-hour. Yes. I know we go hard here in Texas, yeah. but yeah. we're not yeah. We're not going that hard yet. No, no. Um, he was in daycare, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we kind of had liberty with the hours and stuff. I was I was super excited. I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up with a dad, and so I was always excited. I'm going to have—like, Jack was our firstborn, and mm -hmm. I was like, man— I'm super excited about this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my firstborn is a boy. Whether the next born is gonna be a girl or a boy, I'm gonna have another man in the house. Let's go to help raise our family. And so I was, I was super excited about it. when we learned Charlie was coming. I got even more excited. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have a house full of boys. Like Katie said, we had a home, and my house is about to be filled. And I know how rambunctious boys can be. And so I was ready for that, yeah. you know, to, to teach them how to play outdoors and do sports and, and all of that. And so, you know, when Charlie came along, um, it, it, I mean, still is one of the, the greatest moments of my life to, to see that boy, hold that boy in my, yeah. my arms and know that he's my youngest born and I have two boys. Yeah. Everything seemed extremely stable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, so you, you come home pretty quickly from the hospital. It's not like. Yeah. It was a normal. You, yeah. Just normal, normal. So. Yeah. So we um we came home and then we were we were doing his I think it's two week check in with the yep. pediatrician. And she was like, um, he's running a fever. And I was like, That's interesting. <laughs> uh so 
she sent us to the hospital. If a baby under 28 days old runs a fever, you immediately have to go into the hospital, like for at least two days. And so we went to Children's in Plano, and um, we stayed for two days, I think, two nights, maybe three. Um, He had a cold, and um, that was it. And we came back home. And then um, two weeks later, he ran another fever, and he was a little bit lethargic, but also he's a newborn, so how do you know they're lethargic? Yeah. (laughs) So she sent us back to Children's, and um, that was kind of where everything started to kind of take off. Okay. So you're you're back at the hospital for the second time, and then they just want to start running tests? Mm. Yeah. So, again, he had a cold. Um, but it was about two days into that. They, they laid him down on the bed, the crib, and his, um, abdomen was very swollen and they didn't know what was going on. So they sent him up to ICU. Uh, maybe they said maybe exploratory surgery. Maybe it's, they, they didn't know. Thankfully the doctor there, we were there about 45 minutes and the doctor there said, you need to go to children's Dallas. That's the the major, major. downtown. Yeah. yeah. Um, if it, we don't know what's wrong, but I don't think that we will be able to help him, whatever it is. Yeah. So this is when this move, when you go down to Children's in Dallas, mm-hmm. is the first time it gets flagged up on staff. It was when the elders were made known. Yeah. And we knew then, okay, Vince's new boy, something's not right. Yeah. And so they're doing testing. And that, I, that's the first time I remember that day's the day I remember several of us elders pausing mm-hmm. and asking, whatever this is, Lord, whatever this is, will you heal this this little boy in the name of Jesus? Be with Katie, be with Vince. Yeah. And so talk a little bit about the that couple of days where now, okay, this isn't a cold. Mm-hmm. We don't know what this is. And then now they're poking and prodding on my two week old. Yeah. So the our trip down to to Dallas, the transfer. So they had paramedics and they they got us into an ambulance and transferred down there. So that's when things started. I mean, it escalated real fast and real yeah. quick. And so the I know I remember the paramedic. We, he had put Charlie in one of those incubator crib gurney things, and uh, he's like, "Hey, are you following us?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, um, "Can you drive fast?" And I was like. Yeah, I mean, I used to be a cop, so yes. <laughs> and so he's like, um, follow me, stay right behind me. I'm going to go lights and sirens. We're going to go straight down um, the tollway, and we're going to get down there as fast as we can. And so my heart rate was pumping. Super oh, already? Hard. Yeah. I was, I was like, no shit. Like, this is <laughs> yeah. Like this is real. Yeah. And so we we get down there. They immediately um, take us. He gets immediately admitted to ICU in in the in downtown. And uh we're we're in there. Uh, we're probably there for um, maybe a good day or two, and there were blood draws. I mean, constant blood draws. He was he was uh, sedated and intubated just because okay. he was in pain. Like within it's, an hour of us yeah. being there, they they okay. did that. Yeah, his tummy was all uh, distended. It was hard, rock hard, and um, they had to sedate him. And so he was all intubated, tubes all over him, IVs all in him. They, um, I think at the time they started working towards getting central lines put into him, but, you know, us not knowing exactly what that yeah. meant um, at the time. I think, I mean, I think I feel like we probably could be nurses now sure. knowing. Um, 
we, yeah, and that's about that. That was about the time. And we texted Bleeker and, I mean, Steve Harden, as any people as we could. Yeah. Um, and we were there probably for a good, um, maybe another two days or so, doctors coming in and out, telling us it could be sepsis. It could be, you know, probably, I mean, organ failure due to sepsis. And I remember one doctor coming in and he had thoughts and ideas, but it, he wasn't really sure about it. And so he he kind of had this program that he was working with where he would enter in certain symptoms. certain symptoms and it would kind of crank out the certain types of diseases that it could possibly be. Sure. Um, and so he did that. And then I think about a day later, he didn't come back, but another doctor, and we're about probably five or six doctors in now the, of different doctors coming in, different specialists. And um, this one comes in, um, I forget his name, but he, he introduces himself and he goes, hey, I'm Dr. So-and-so, I'm from oncology. And that was that was incredibly surreal. Like oh. there was, I mean, obviously it was like a very much like, please, yeah. please no. And he goes, um, if you have a minute, I'd like to go to one of the counseling rooms and talk to you. And it just, that there was a cloud around and I was like, it was just fog of war, just tunnel vision yeah. kind of kind of deal. And he sits us down and uh, he goes through the symptoms and he says, hey, uh, your son, he meets about 10 of the 12 um, markers um, for this particular disease that I'm thinking that he has. And uh, man, like, I, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. We were both silent. I don't think we said anything. Yeah, I mean, he he basically said we either we start treating for what we think it is and it works or it doesn't work and and we there's no hope basically and the treatment is um, chemotherapy and aggressive steroids Um, and if it works we'll see within 24 hours that his numbers start to decline Um, and he went on to explain that that the disease was likely um, a genetic disease uh, called HLH, or the very long version is uh, hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis. Okay, we're going to stay with HLH. <laughs> yeah, you should. So it's HLH, and um, what that means is that Vince and I both carry a gene, and um, that that that's where it came from. Um, they won't know that for sure for a month because it takes a month to test the genetic testing. Okay. It can be a non-genetic form. It's most likely not. Also, does he have any siblings? Yes, he has a brother. How old? He's two. Has he been sick a lot? No, not other than ear infections and colds and normal daycare sicknesses. He needs to be tested too. Um, Because if it's genetic, he has it too. The only treatment um, for the disease... Um, is a bone marrow transplant. And um, they would both have to have bone marrow transplants. Um, but they also wanted to test Jack, the, yeah. our other son, for um, to see if he could be a donor okay. for the bone marrow transplant. So Charlie's two weeks old at this point, three weeks old? He was four, four weeks old, old at that so point. Mm-hmm. a month old? Yeah, he was a month old. Um, and Jack's? Jack was going to be two in like in a few months so yeah so that was uh kind of a double whammy yeah 
so they they started the the treatment and he started to respond. Yeah. Um, and what that meant was then we uh, would need to look for um, a donor for Charlie's bone marrow transplant. And um, until we found a donor, he would have to stay on chemo and steroids, like just endlessly. Yeah. Um, finding a donor is difficult for us, for him, because Vince is 100% Vietnamese and I'm 100% white. So um, when when you're looking for a donor, it has to be genetically okay. matched, obviously. And so, uh, well, it wasn't obvious to me at that point. Um, so we were most likely looking for a half Asian donor somewhere in the world. And if it wasn't a perfect match, a 10 out of 10, or at least a nine out of 10, um, they wouldn't even, yeah, they wouldn't even do it. Okay. Yeah. So how long then is Charlie, I I know he immediately had to start the, the chemo Mm -hmm. and, and, and steroids. Yeah. Um, how long is he on that before we find the donor? Yeah, so this was actually a bit of a miracle. So he was on maintenance chemo for, I believe, uh, maybe f- three or four months. But we did get to go home during that. We could go sure. into clinic for those treatments. Yeah. Um, so we we did, once they figured out what it was, he stabilized. He, he um, chemo worked, um, which was super weird um, that my my month old baby and we were celebrating him being stabilized, but having to go through chemo. Um, so we got transferred downstairs to our second home. So we went down to oncology and, um, they continued to work on him down there and things kind of, kind of slowed down a lot. And so he was under maintenance chemo. We went home. Um, and then probably around, I want to say another four, four months or so, uh, we, yeah, we, we get the call and says, hey, I think we think we found a match for you. Um, so that was, you know, that was some kind of sometime early fall. Sure. Okay. And how are you? So you you mentioned that that's when things kind of slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I I know just even from personal experience, like that that initial shock and disorientation um, does settle into this new kind of. I I've never really been able to find the right language like it's this disordered or discombobulated rhythm mm. where it's like all consuming and and then not at mm. the same time it's it's a real if anybody if you're listening to this and you've been through that um or you're in it right now it, it's just this it, it's everything but not everything all at the same time and so uh, man I'd love to hear here in this early part of um Man, this story that's that's got quite a bit to go. I mean, mm-hmm. to think about, I mean, a short life, but a a full one, and not full of a, a lot of things that that you know we would have wanted or dreamed for him. But um, how are you two? Now you're in it. You're in the fight. Um, you you don't know anything. Like I've already heard you talk in ways so far in this. And you had no idea about that. You had no idea that you know a bone marrow needed to be half an. I mean, you like all this is the stuff that you learn in this fraternity. And you said earlier we could be nurses now. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, but not at this moment in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're ignorant. You're having to rely on doctors. Um, you you have a lot of doctors at this moment. Talk to me about kind of how you're processing this with each other and how mm-hmm. you're processing this with the Lord. Early days are always 
there's so much hope in the early years, so much expectation yes. in those early periods. And so talk a little bit about how you guys are interacting with one another. Um, and then talk to me about what those prayers look like at that time mm-hmm. where like, are there, are there clouds forming right now between you and the Lord? Or is there, is there just confidence? No, you've got this. You're going to handle this. Like, like, tell me about, give me the temperature right now between the two of you and between you and the Lord. Oh man. I don't, I mean, I think we were both pretty confident. Um, we had a huge, uh, naivety about us, like sure. just like, oh, well, this is the treatment and we get the transplant and like, and then we'll be good to go. And so we had plans of like, well, I have a good friend that was willing to watch Charlie, take him to the hospital, do his, so I could keep working yeah. because money. Um, and, uh, and I love my job. Yeah. Like I just, to me, it was like, he'll get the, the, the treatment and we will, uh, he'll get better and we'll carry on with life. As far as Vince and I together, I, I can preface it by saying, um, I'm glad this did not happen. Year two of marriage, year three, <laughs> yeah. year four, yeah. any of those years. Um, when you and Lauren talk about your first seven years, that was our first four. So okay. um, the Lord the Lord knew. Um, and so we we were together for the most part, um, but we are so different as people. Um, yeah. Oh, so different as people. And so obviously we, we processed what was happening differently. It's, yeah. I, I, so <clears throat> I, um, whatever it is I don't have control over, Yeah. Um, I will move to the things I do and just give it all that I have, yeah. like in a real intense kind of a way. Anybody that knows me will just say yeah. yes and amen to that. And so, um, you know, that new rhythm for us, uh, we were very hopeful. Like, mm. oh, like I mean, because it was the miracle of we have a match mm. for yeah. somebody who is half Asian, yeah. half white. First of all, getting a match in and of itself is a bit of a miracle because of just the lack of people in the registry. Um, but for for him to get even a a nine out of a ten kind of a match was just a miracle in of itself. So we were. I will what? say too that we found out Jack did not have the disease, um, was a carrier of the gene, yeah. but also was not a match. Yeah. So that might be helpful to know. Right. Um, and so, I, both of us, I, I especially, I could definitely say this for myself, was living in this like, okay, he's gonna get his donor. We're going to, he's, he's going to get healed because he's going to get his match. He's, you know, and he's going to have the transplant and it's going to be great. And we're going to live the rest of our lives and things are going to be a little bit different, a little bit more difficult. He's going to, he might, he might be a little bit slower yeah. um, in his recovery. He, you, we may have to hold him back from kindergarten or something like that and just put him, you know, a year later or something. Um, that's, that's what I was thinking. We're, Katie was ready to go back to work. Yeah. You know, this is four months into the diagnosis yeah. and. So I was like, hey, what is what is the fall going to look like? We're going to work, you know. So Charlie needs to be able to go in. So we we're like lining up friends. Like, hey, can you nanny for us? Can you, would you be able to do this? And like, um, and so we were we were definitely living in the the, the very much hope of this. Sure. He's going to the medical, the common grace of medical medicine is going to going to going to save and heal our boy. Um, and then around like sometime in between there, I wouldn't be able to tell you when. Maybe he was two or three months old. All of a sudden. I felt this weight, um, and I was like, I cannot go to work. Like, something will not let me go to work. 
And Vince and I had already planned, like we made the plan of me going to work and we had people lined up. And so um, I very immaturely um, said, um, I think God told me I can't go back to work. (laughs) She played the God card. Yeah, she did. God said Vince. Yeah. Yeah. God Uh, said. Vince literally said, what am I supposed to say to that? I was so angry. (laughs) So angry. (laughs) And I just didn't, I didn't know how to approach, like, I. I was learning how the Lord was speaking to me, and I was yeah. sure that it was the Lord. I had no idea how to approach Vince with that um, because the Lord does not speak to him the way he speaks to me, and yeah. that's how we were created. Mm. I did it all wrong that time. However, the Lord is gracious, and um, after, I don't know, a few days. Yeah, I, I no, no, it was the same night, so I stomped off into— I don't think we talked. Yeah, I stomped off into the to bedroom and I laid down on the bed and just processed it. I was like, I can't believe, like we, like I don't, I don't, I have no idea what's going through my brain, and uh, but it, I, I started working through my mind, like really, and this is the grace of the Lord, like what is going to be best for for mm-hmm. my son, like what's going to be best for Charlie, and um, you know, uh, I think I kind of what came over me was just like I don't have the, we don't have the assuredness that this is going to work. Yeah. And so we need to give him the best possible chance of being supported, loved, cared for through that time. Like I, I would want that for myself. Yeah. And so I, I, it was the same night I walked back out. I sat, I remember her still just awkwardly sitting on the couch. <laughs> and I remember <laughs> sitting down on the coffee table facing her and I said, okay, yeah, we'll be one income. We'll do this. We'll figure it out. It'll, it'll be fine. Uh, we need a we need a fight for Charlie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was just a a, the, a beginning of um, a long road of the Lord taking away comforts. Yeah, and us realizing how much we relied on those things for comfort, for stability, for assurance, and uh, that was a pretty pivotal moment. And um, in our marriage, in our marriage, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in in the story of Charlie's life. How how are you? How's Jack processing this? I mean, he's two. Mom and dad are gone a lot now. Baby brother is like all attention. Yeah, I, I would think is heading in. And I I mean, again, I was there for some of this, so I, I'm I'm asking questions, knowing that you have certain answers. But um, talk a little bit about trying to help a two year old navigate hey, something's not right here, but probably not having the capacity to understand just how serious of a thing we're in here. Where was Jack when you guys were running down to the hospital? How was, yeah. um, how are you trying to help him feel seen and loved while simultaneously love well in a very needed way? Mm-hmm. Charlie, who's in a fight for his life. Yeah. So that's kind of where if that was like the defining moment to talking about Katie and I making this decision together and us being very different people, but just coming together in both of the giftings that the Lord has given us to be able to, to just make a decision together. Um, something that very could have just divided us. Um, one of a million things that could have divided us. We, we leaned in on, well, Katie's going to be full time with Charlie. Yeah. So if Katie's full time with Charlie, dad's going to be full time with Jack. He's very outgoing, very enthusiastic. I mean, just full of life and energy. Um, no question. Yeah, hundred percent. And so he, he, um, we, us, our discussion with him was very quick and brief. We just said, "Hey, hey, Charlie's very, very sick. Um, so 
we're going to have to we're going to have to spend a lot of time taking care of Charlie. There's going to be a lot of medicine laying around that you need to stay away from. Um, you need to help us stay keep everything clean because the house needs to be pretty sterile yeah. um, for him to live there. That that was the conversation with him. But I mean, even from the very beginning, the Lord knew um, because we were we were very doom and gloom for for almost the entirety of Charlie's life. Um, Jack is just just this one bubble of light yeah. in our lives who was constant. He was always laughing, always playing, always willing to. And so he he really held our family together yeah. um, and, and reminded us to laugh and play yeah. and to – he played with Charlie so well. Yeah. Um, he didn't have the uh, – just the, the ability to really kind of grasp sure. the entirety of the situation. But yeah. he, he very much um, – yeah, was a lie for us. And for him, he didn't have any anything to compare it to. Yeah. Him having a younger brother was, oh, this is having a younger, yeah. younger brother. Like That's true. He, he did not have any, yeah, he had nothing to compare it to. So for him, it was normal, Yeah. Um, which is sad, but yeah. it was normal for him. Yeah, that makes sense. So we have the bone marrow transplant back to Charlie, and that goes well initially, right? Yeah, um, they found a donor somewhere in Europe. We were not allowed to know. Um, we um, we just said yes. We we will take it. So um, they did the transplant when he was around four months old, um, maybe closer to five months yeah, it was old. More like five or six. And so a bone marrow transplant is a very simple. Um, it it's cells that come in a bag and they infuse it like an IV. It's not a surgery yeah. or anything like that. Like it's very easy. It's just an infusion. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, an intense chemo beforehand, uh, essentially to kill, kill the bone marrow. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it was rough. I mean, uh, the 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 precursor to the actual infusion of cells um, is I think it's like. Um, eight, ten days of chemo and steroids, and his immune system goes down to zero. There are no white blood cells. There is nothing in there. Um, and it is, uh, you're on lockdown. Um, it's very isolating. The The infusion went well. The um, he His body received the cells. They engrafted is what they call it. And that they watch it. We would go into clinic once or twice a week, depending on the blood work of the, the t- visit before. And um, we saw the transplant doctors, and every week they would let us know how many donor cells there are, what percentage of donor cells, what percentage of Charlie cells. Okay. Um, you want more donor cells. Um, and it got up to 90-something percent donor cells, which yeah. was awesome. After the transplant, we got to go back home again. Um, and that was... That, those were the times that were the hardest. You would think the hospital times would be harder. Right. But for me personally, the times at home were much harder. So say, talk more about that. Um, why, why, is home, why was home harder? Um, you're alone. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was a, a disease of his immune system, no one could come over Um visitations were very were very limited and um it was until Vince got home from work Jack went Jack was still able to go to daycare which that was probably not the wisest decision for Charlie but <laughs> yeah. I couldn't do both I mean I was yeah. doing um 
a baby on steroids is like any other person on steroids, except for they can't run around and burn off their energy. (laughs) You have to do it for them. Um, And so what that looked like was he wanted to be held and bounced all the time, like almost 24 hours a day. He was also had a feeding tube in his nose, and um, uh, we later got a pump to pump the formula in, but we didn't have one, so I just had to stand there and hold the syringe full of formula for the 30 minutes that it infused into his stomach. It was just, I mean, there was there was no reprieve. Yeah, there was none. There wasn't. We didn't have any home nurses. We didn't have um, some of the equipment we needed. Um, Vince was at work. Jack was at school. I was at home with Charlie. Um, and I, I, um, I didn't necessarily want anyone to come over either. Okay. Um, part of it was because I wanted to protect Charlie. Like it wasn't worth it. Like someone bringing coffee over, like, no, I I don't think it's worth the risk because if that's the thing that gets him sick. Sorry. You're right. Um, and, um, but part of it was, I mean, I was just depressed. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be alone. Um, but the Lord really met me in that time. Yeah. Um, I remember one afternoon, I don't even think I've told Vince this, but like <laughs> one afternoon, um, Charlie was in his bouncer. Praise the Lord for bouncers. Um, and um, I just felt so isolated, but I also felt like I knew uh, all of the things that I knew from my growing up, like all of the sayings about God, yeah. all the sayings that he's near, that he's good. Like those things I believed, but I didn't know what they meant. Sure. I had not experienced them before. One afternoon, um, I had worship music playing and I just fell to my knees and I begged the Lord to meet me, to make me not feel alone. And the, the peace that washed over me, um, and I, I, as crazy as it sounds, like I could picture the Lord wrapping his arms around me. Um, and, um, he did that in multiple different ways throughout, throughout that time when I was just alone at home with Charlie. And how long did that last? From five, maybe six months to a year old. It was about a six month period. And, and during that time, after the infusion he was not on chemo anymore that's right he was on steroids um and a host of other medications so um yeah it was very it was very lonely time for me one of the 
One of the ways we're able to bring these stories to you is by partnering with organizations that I've grown to trust and appreciate and love over the last couple of years. Uh, Dwell, the Dwell Bible app, if you followed my ministry, you know I've mentioned it before. It's just one of my favorite tools, like in my own devotional life, my own study life, uh, to find more ways um, to hear the Word of God, to absorb the Word of God, to have the Word of God top of mind for me. Uh, and so I've used it devotionally. Uh, I've used it in regards to just, uh, I'm, I'm currently studying the book of Daniel. And so all day today, I've had the, the Daniel read by Mark with ambient music in the background playing on my phone in my truck uh, as I, you know, uh, walked outside a little bit earlier this morning, just finding ways um, to have the Word of God um, absorbing into my system and, and the, the design, the, the beauty of the app, uh, the various kinds of music that can play under, uh, the accents that can go to. There are so many aspects of the app that could serve to stir your affections for Jesus, depending on preference and desire. Dwell is offering listeners of The Overcomers 25% off a yearly subscription. All you have to do is visit dwellbible.com backslash overcomers, or you can click the link in the show notes to receive the discount. Hey, this episode of The Overcomers has been sponsored by the Acts 29 Church Planning Network with an invitation to our 2024 Next Conference here in April in Dallas, Texas. I'm going to be speaking alongside of a, a stellar lineup. You're like, you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, we've got Brian Loritz and Sam Alberry, John Piper, and more. Uh, and the hope of the next conference is really what we're trying to do is equip and encourage you as church planters and church leaders, really regardless of the type of church or type of ministry that you're in. And I would love to see you there. To learn more about this and to register for Next, you can just go to acts29.com backslash next. And if you're an Overcomer listeners, you're going to have a, a special discount, like $20 off registration if you use the code Overcomers. And so you can apply this discount to the early bird prices before December 31st or the regular rates that start in 2024. That's axe29.com slash next. Look forward to seeing you there. About that 12th month then, about the time Charlie's turning mm-hmm. a year, do, do we get a sense then that we beat this thing and he, here we go now? He's going to have some developmental delays. Mm-hmm. He's going to, but man, dadgummit, we, we beat this thing. Thank you, Lord. Is that where we are at 12 months? Yeah. And he looked so healthy. Did he had he? really good head of hair. God, like no, He was starting yeah. to walk. <laughs> yeah. He had eyelashes for days. Man. like. I thought they were um, fake yeah. when I saw it. I was like, man, y'all doing this man's... It's, it's wafting you as he's blinking. <laughs> Actually, one of his medications made him grow hair, so... I'm, so he... Okay, God, we did it, man. Like, we, yeah. he's healthy, he's walking, he's... You're seeing that personality start mm-hmm. to pop. Mm-hmm. It's mirroring a little bit like his brother. He, yeah. There's going to be some wild days in yeah. the Dang's house. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like we beat this thing. Yeah. And then, sparkle in his eye, too. Yeah. We just had that... All, I yeah. mean, yes. Yeah. And, and, and then it... It just doesn't progress that way. So, so talk about 
we, we get this reprieve, this celebration. Mm-hmm. You guys get it, but I, mm-hmm. I felt like we got it. Like yeah. we, we were worn with you in prayer and hoping. And yeah. You guys are, again, if you're just listening to the podcast, like this is a family that's, they're woven into our church. They're not, they're not on the, they weren't on the outskirts of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were in home group. They were serving. Vince was on staff. The, I mean, th- this was a, this is a couple that we know here and um, they're not just attenders. And so, man, this was a, like we were, there was a great sense of celebration. Mm-hmm. And I think collectively, we were like, praise Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like we just kicked cancer's butt, you yeah. know? Like we, praise God, we're, let's go get it. Now, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see this little boy run around the the sanctuary yeah. and jump off the stage onto the chairs and, um, you know, be unwieldy in the the foyer. I mean, that that's kind of where we were. Um, and, it, and, but that's not where it went. Mm-hmm. And so talk a little bit about, we get this reprieve where there's such gladness. Um, and then it, man, it just does not, man, it just does not last long. Yeah. So, um, right before his first birthday, the, we were in, in clinic and the doctors came in they were like, well, um, here's the numbers this week. Um, and they weren't good. It was basically, they had been watching it week after week. Each week, Charlie's cells would jump like 10%. Um, just kind of, they were taking over again. And um, they said, we have to do another transplant. And we were like, I mean, just the thought of going through it once was like, okay, I'm so glad we did that. It's done. And it's like, I, you can't even, I could not even fathom how in the world are we going to do this again? Mm -hmm. Do we have an option? Like, I mean, the option is, is don't, but then like, it's pretty clear what would happen. So then you're pitted against that. I think, I think I was in denial. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a moment where I realized that I was, I was fighting for, we were fighting for Charlie's life, but I personally was just digging down deep with everything that I had. And I gave everything that I personally physically had up until that moment. And I didn't realize I was doing that until I realized, oh my God, I have to do this all over again. Mm -hmm. And then it was just, it sucked every single life that was in me out. And uh, I think that's where I took a turn um, personally, where I really, really began to just question, God, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, we, we remained faithful to you. We trusted you the whole time. We've been praying to you. Yeah. We've been having, we, we, we've, in a very safe way, we've brought people over to our home to worship you, yeah. um, to lift up your name, to lift Charlie up to you and trust you with it. And we have to do this again. Yeah. Like this didn't work. We were, we were praying day in and day out, laying hands on our son every single night, praying over his room. Um, and it just, I was gutted. I was yeah. absolutely gutted to have to do this again, to have him recover. And then just to, like, he's he's one year old and, and he's moving into this phase of life that Jack was, when yeah. this started, yeah. where Jack was at, it was it was awful. So we're, we're back in the hospital, back on chemo. Um, are they saying at this time, like, this is something that we could, if this is going to be the dance, we can this is the way we're going to beat this thing. We mm. can just keep doing marrow transplants or, or what are they communicating at no. this they moment say, about it? Um, the disease is very rare. And if you make it, 
like if you live to the transplant, then your percentages go down drastically. If you make it through the first one, um, like the the pre-chemo doesn't kill you, the post-treatments don't kill you, um, it just second transplants are so rare um, that it's like if you get to the second transplant, it's already not looking good. Um, And like, I mean, I, I, I... there's not a lot of research out there for better or worse about the disease, but the mortality rate of like the second transplant is like, if, if you make it to the second transplant, they might live a year after that. Okay. Um, if it works, it works. And we know some people um, that it has worked for yeah. second transplants. Not many though. Yeah. Actually I can think of one. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was just, I mean, it was really hard because he was so healthy looking before yeah. he was at least sick yeah. looking um, but this time he was he was robust. He had learned how to walk. Yeah. Like he um, was saying words. Like he had a he had a personality. Yeah. And I remember early on, one of the things we said and prayed for was, God, if you're gonna take him, just take him when he's four weeks old. Yeah. Please don't let us grow to love him and be attached to him. Yeah. I didn't want to have to grieve the loss of hearing him say mom. Yeah. Hearing him say dad and know what it sounded like. And I just thought it was so cruel of the Lord to let him grow to be so vibrant and then um have the have the anxiety of what if he what if he dies now? Yeah. You know, what if he died when he was a month old? That's a different kind of a loss. I think that's right. Then when he dies, when he's two. Yeah. Both are awful and tragic and will will mark you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, but for me personally and for Vince, like we we verbally said that, like, it sounds awful to say, but I, I, if he's going to die, I want him to die young, yeah. younger. There was, there was a moment for me where this was after, you know, when we're going through year two. Um, just kind of in my cynical self, um, I had um, just, I, I was powerless. I just felt completely powerless. And I, I think if for fathers, like that's probably one of the most vulnerable places that you can ever be for your kids. Like I can't do anything. And I remember pleading with the Lord one night, God, um, give this to me. Yeah. Like, please give this to me. Like, don't, please don't let it be him. Like, if there's any way, I, let it be me. Um, and just pleading with him, like, just let me trade places with him. Um, and just felt just utterly powerless. I mean, we we did it. We went in and we did the the chemo again. We did the steroids again. We shaved his head, like, um, I don't, I mean, we did the second transplant. The They wanted to use the same donor because yeah. three them. people's DNA in one person yeah. is um, not good. Um, but that donor did not want to donate again. Okay. And so we didn't have a choice. Um, they found another donor. Domestically. Domestically um, within the U.S. And they donated... 
I'm not sure what it was, but they had they had enough. They gave enough stem cells to okay. where there was a little bit extra. So they kept those on the deep freezer. Okay. Um. So they uh, we we did it again. We did the infusion. He rebounded, but not not quite like he had before. Yeah. And those cells took some, um, but now when we were looking at um, blood work, we were looking at what percentage was donor one, what percentage was donor two, and what percentage was Charlie. Charlie. And the more DNA you mix into a person, um, the more confused your body gets, for lack of a better term, and the more complications arise. And there's a very common disease with bone marrow trans- transplants called graft versus host. It's like basically the war with the cells. And so many things can go wrong with that. Um, it can affect any part of your body. For Charlie, it was his gut, yeah. his stomach. So he, we got to go home um, again. And he just never, he was never the same. Yeah. Um, and... I kept saying to the doctors, like, something something is off. Like, but the numbers weren't showing it. They yeah. they didn't discredit me, but they're like, we don't know what to do because yeah. the blood work's not showing it. And so finally it got to the point where his uh it was close to Thanksgiving of twenty nineteen. Yeah. And they said the cell numbers are dropping again. We are gonna do a booster. So they did the booster, and the booster was just going in clinic. Yeah. So we were, you know, it's like a long infusion, like a four-hour infusion. And he wore a Yoda. He uh, wore a Yoda, Yoda baby Yoda Come costume. Yeah. It was because it was the day before Halloween. That's right. And um, um, after that, within like two weeks, it just it went south. Um, yeah. yeah, it was like he his we had physical therapists and speech therapy come to our house, and um. They they obviously noticed it too. Um, he went from even being able to walk after the second transplant to just like he would just collapse. Yeah. Like his strength was waning and very lethargic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the therapist and I both knew like yeah. this is not good. And the hospital, the blood work didn't show any of it yet, and so. Finally, before Thanksgiving of that year, I I called the hospital. We had our, like our own personal line to the transplant. It was like, you get to bypass ER, you get to bypass everything. And um, just told them what was happening. And they said, why don't you bring him in? We brought him in. They said, well, I think because of the, the um, rejection, essentially, he's just not absorbing nutrients. Okay. Um, and that was where his gut was involved. Um, that ended up not being it. They sent us home um, because they wanted us to be able to be home for Thanksgiving. And um, we were home for three days maybe. Not very long. Yeah. Um, he was more and more lethargic, just in pain. He was in, yeah. he was in so much pain. Um, we were home enough to celebrate Thanksgiving together. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was that Friday. Yeah. So we celebrated Thanksgiving and I um, – I was laying on the couch and Charlie just had his head on my chest mm-hmm. and um, I closed my eyes cause I was tired. We all were. And I had a very clear picture of me handing Charlie to the Lord. And I knew exactly. I was like, okay, but it brought me such peace. 
Um, and I didn't tell Vince. Um, and there was something else that had happened a few weeks before where I just every day pleaded with the Lord, like, will you just tell me? I know you speak. Will you please tell me if he's going to live or not? Like, is it a silly prayer? Probably. But, like, I just wanted to know. Finally, maybe a month before Thanksgiving, I laid down at night. And it's like one of those prayers that you just pray and you don't even realize you're saying. Like, you say it so much, you don't even realize it's in your head. And I laid my head down to go to sleep. And um, I asked the Lord again, will you tell me? Will you please tell me? And I, in my, I heard in my mind, um, the Lord said, Charlie's days are numbered. And I said, so are mine. And then he said two times, but Charlie's days are few. Charlie's days are few. And again, although it's not what I wanted, like the Lord knew, he knew me and him showing me that coupled with what he showed me when I was laying on the couch, it brought such peace. Like what a gift. Um, and it was really helpful for the next five three, months. And, uh, since from to December is three months. It was three months. Felt like longer. He, he gets admitted. Um, he starts taking this turn he's like in pain um the doctors have no idea what's going on so we they'd say hey let's just bring him in and so we bring him in we bypass um er well we did get to go to er but then they got a angry call from from oncology saying hey you need to send an icu now please and so because you don't want to take a cancer kid into Mm -hmm. the er that's a that's a bad place to in the fall yeah in the fall um so he, he gets up into ICU and it's just, it's snowballing again, just like day one. It's just snowballing and he, he's in pain. He's like crying and searing pain at this point. And, um, and they're like pumping Dilaudid, morphine, like pumping it in him yeah. and it is not touching Like at anything. adult levels, yeah. adult levels. Um, and, and so he's, they're doing exploratory surgeries cause like they're, he's like, it's, it seems like it's coming from his gut. And so they're. They're, you know, they're sedating him and then, you know, doing that exploratory surgery, coming out of that sedation and just, again, in just pain, awful, awful pain. And we're, we're sitting here and we're watching our son, our baby boy, just crying out. And we're like, somebody please help him. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I remember a moment where we're, we're sitting in post-op and we're, he's, he's crying. Katie's like, she's like, she's like, please somebody like, we're trying to get like the, the supervising attending physician to come in here and, and help us and do something. And, um, I get this text, uh, from a good friend of ours and he's like, Hey buddy, I'm here. Um, w- w- you know, where, where are you at? And I'm looking at Katie. I was like, Hey man, Michael's here. Like I, I, you know, she's like, go see him, just go see him. And, um, I say this, so I, I go up to where he's he's actually up on the floor where we should be, and I go up on on another uh, another elevator, and he's turning the corner, and I'm turning. I just turned the corner, and I see him, and I see him probably about fifty yards away down the hallway, and I just lost it. I think that was the first time 
in almost two years that I just sobbed. And anybody that knows Michael Bleeker, he's literally oh the gosh. only he's literally <laughs> the only man yeah. that can do that to you. Yeah. Um, and we just he just held me, and I sobbed. And it was just the most powerless, um, even the most cathartic moment that I, I I really have ever had. And so we're we're really literally just fighting for his life. And so eventually, they um, they sedate him again. Um, intubated. To, intubate him uh, because of the sedation, and he's intubated. And they they take him up up back to ICU, and it's just straight up. We don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like we have no idea. And and so he was in a sedated state for maybe almost two months, mm-hmm. um, almost two months. And we were in ICU. And I don't know if anybody experiences ICU before, but you don't stay in ICU for two months. Not intubated. Yeah. No. Nope. And so um, that was one of the most awful time. Yeah. But also some of the sweetest times um, in that ICU room. Um Eventually, he, um, he <laughs> this is speaking of his limited vocabulary and so and his tenacity. Um, so they, they kind of figure out what's going on. They get him um, meted up for, for what they know what, know what it is, and it works. And so he, um, they eventually start weaning him off. So he was on ketamine and some, a lot of other um, things. And so they're weaning him off. You know, you got to do that real slowly yeah. um, um, because of, you know, you want to give your lungs the ability to 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 work on its own, and uh, he uh, slowly starts kind of getting coming snapping out of it a little bit. And uh, I remember one day I was um, my typical routine was, you know, drop drop Jack off, and wake up in the morning, drop Jack off. Um, either I go into work or I come to the hospital. And then if I'm in the hospital, I'm doing a little bit of work in the hospital. Yeah. And so I remember um, I was leaving to go pick Jack up from the hospital. I'm driving down 35 or up 35 and uh, Katie gives a call and I hear this. And so um, Katie gives me a call and she goes, you need to turn around. Charlie just extubated himself. Yeah. Hold it out. And I was like, okay. Like, is he all right? She's like, yeah, he's okay. And then she goes, he said dada. And then so I was like, I just hooked it and I just turned around. And I was like, hey, I'm on my way, you know? And, uh, Get in there, and sure enough, I'm sitting. I'm I'm walking to the ICU room, and my boy is sitting up on his own. He's looking at me. He's got a BiPAP machine on yep. his nose, and uh, he's just talking it up with the nurses, like just like <laughs> Lazarus, just talking. Yeah, yeah. I think the 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 beauty of that was um, because he was he was on all the pain medication. Um, like there was he was breathing okay on his own for the most part, um, but all the pain was coming from a medication that he was on yeah. and they didn't realize it. Cause it's like a one in a million. No one really reacts to this medication. And so we had all of these conferences with oncology transplant and ICU attending physicians um, in these big rooms. And it was like, we basically the, the conversations of um, can, when do we, what, at what point do we take them off life support? Yeah. Like, um, and then they all had different thoughts on it because they all had different specialties. And yeah. I I wrestled with, I already know he is um, not going to live. Like yeah. I just knew. And so um, I I had to, to battle with, Vince is very logical. 
Um, and I'm very grateful for that now. Um, and I was then too, because it kept, kept me grounded, but we, we were just wrestling a lot during that time with when do we excavate him? When's the right time? When is quality of life over quantity of life? When are we doing more harm to him than help? And so like, I mean, it was great because Charlie just pulled out the tube himself. Mm. So he kind of decided. So, um, so he, he's kind of snapping out of the, the, uh, that pain that started back in, in, in Thanksgiving to figure this out. And then we're having these conversations, these really, really hard conversations. We're having the, the DNR conversation, yeah. do not resuscitate conversations. And, um, so he eventually gets to a place where, um, oncology wanted to have him come downstairs. And so um, ICU gives a thumbs up, and he's he's breathing uh, enough on his own. He's having to use high high pressure um, for for his lungs to help him out a little bit. He goes downstairs, and we have it was like going back home. Yeah. We spent so much of his life in oncology. On it was like seeing family again. It was seeing um, doctors and nurses that we we're used to. Um, that we love, that love Charlie, that have developed a relationship with him. Um, Katie would walk through, um, just through the oncology floor in a baby carrier, just talking with nurses and Charlie talking with nurses. And, and so we, we had a really, really sweet couple of weeks um, down in oncology. We had um, elders, pastors, uh, friends come and visit, um, pray and sing and worship. And um, we had a, a sweet group of women um, over um, in the, in, in the, in his room, in our room, uh, one day and, you know, singing, just singing. Um, and, um, we're, Katie was sitting on the, um, on, on the hospital bed holding Charlie. Charlie, Charlie fell asleep. And so we fell asleep and I'm sitting right next to, um, right next to her and we're, um, we're just all singing and talking and, uh, we're both, Katie and I were both watching and the nurse, we're both watching, um, the EKG, Um, And we're watching his heart rate um, go from about 150 all the way up to about 180. And then from 180, it kind of creeps up to 200. And then from about 200, it goes up to about 212, 215. Um, And anybody knows what that means. Uh, It just means that the body's doing the last rally. Um, And um, on on March 5th, while while he was, Katie was being held, or Charlie was being held by, uh, uh, by his mom. Um, Charlie fell asleep and he passed away um, in his sleep. And um, I, I can't, I can't really think of a better way um, to see your son into eternity. Yeah. Um, by being held in your uh, his mother's arms. Yeah. Um, and us just singing him into heaven. Yeah. So I want to stop. I I don't know where you're listening or the circumstances of your life if you're listening. Uh, I know that the Dang's Hope, My Hope, if, man, maybe you're in this season. Maybe it's your child in um, this season. Maybe it's you in in a season of chemo or sickness and the the future's not, it's just not known. And I I want to just stop and, and just remind you, kind of root you in, like Charlie's story is Charlie's story, and the Dang story is is the Dang story. Like I, like I was I was given a 
prognosis of two to three years, and I'm coming up on year 14. Um, and so I just want to stop for a second and not, I don't want you to run into anxiety and fear and, and it's, it's no way for us to live. So those are the kind of things we have to repeatedly take to the Lord. And, and I say repeatedly because I, in my own journey, I learned anxiety wasn't, um, man, it was never actually a war I won. It was just a battle I was constantly fighting and it came in waves and it would sneak up on me. And so I don't, the last thing I think any of us want to do here making this podcast is make what's already a difficult season more difficult. And so we're going to, we're going to move and we're going to start processing like after Charlie's funeral and how you navigate that space and try to find a new normal and kind of the, the anger that I know that Vince and I have talked about that, like that you have to, you have to get past and like people don't get it. So we're going to move to that. But before we move into that, like I just wanted to to stop and just lift your eyes up to the Lord again, lift them up to heaven and and just remind you like your story is not the dang story. Your story is not a Charlie story. Your kid's story isn't Charlie's story. Now it, it might be there, there aren't any, but, but for this moment, what, what we know is what we know. And we've got to trust the one who knows more than we do. Uh, and so just wanted to just stop for a second and reorient you. Um, I, I just, I know how that might hit you. Um, if, and you've been in ICU for a while and you, you're in that same kind of spot of not knowing and it not looking good. And, um, and, and so just want to stop for a second and reorient us. And, and then I want to, I want to get back to the dangs. Do you want to say something about I that? I do, if that's okay. Please. Um, I, I remember like just, you know, the overwhelming anxiety throughout the journey. And I remember having a good clinic visit one day and like, everything looks great. Like, this is, this is awesome. Like if we keep on this track, you know, we won't have to, we'll get to drop these medications or whatever. And I remember leaving that appointment and having more anxiety than yeah. any appointment where there was bad news. Um, and what, what I started to realize was, oh, like I can't, ultimately, I cannot hope for an outcome. Yeah. Like I can't put my hope in an outcome. I can hope for an outcome. Sure. But I didn't even realize that that I had the anxiety until I got good news and there was more anxiety. Hmm. Um, and so, like, my my hope for anyone who is going through anything that, that causes anxiety is, like, if your hope is on a circumstance or an outcome in some way, I mean, you will be let down. Yeah. Because the things that scripture tells us to put our hope in is in Christ and the work of salvation um, in the things that, that Christ has done. And that is the only place where we can find rest and hope. Yeah. Um, any other place will bring anxiety, depression, right. all of those things. Yeah. And it wasn't until we walked through that, that I realized my hope is not actually in Christ. Although I've, would have said that for my whole life. Yeah, like yeah. it didn't, it didn't, it, I had head knowledge of it, but I didn't have an understanding of it like at a heart level. Yeah. And I think that was, that was a very pivotal moment for me. And, and Vince and I've talked about that yeah, a lot absolutely. too. Yeah. yeah, definitely. He was always really good to remind me of a future hope sure. of the, our ultimate hope. Yeah. And I didn't always want to hear it, but he was, steadfast in in reminding me and him himself yeah. of yeah we're going to pray toward these things 
but we 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 are not God, and we put our hope in God, not in an outcome. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think this is something that we had talked about. Yeah, uh, you and me, Matt, um, towards uh, around Charlie's funeral was that for for almost two years we have been praying for Charlie's healing. Yeah, like that. The the only way that Charlie can make it through this is that God and His sovereign will allows it to be so that his body reorients his cells kind of realign yeah. that they, it starts acting the way it needs to start acting and that his recovery is ultimately in the hands of the Lord. And it was only really towards the end around Charlie's funeral that I realized that we, when we pray for healing and hope and trust in the Lord, what we may ultimately be praying towards and for is our ultimate healing yeah. and our ultimate um, salvation, if you will. Um, and so I fully believe to this day that the hope that we were praying for, for Charlie's healing has been completed. Yeah, He is healed and whole. Um, and there's so many things that I feel like ungrounded. Yeah. Um, we are going to, we're going to hope in some things that we, we really, yeah, we, we really can't and it's going to fail us. I, I liked your designation, Katie, of like, I want to hope for this outcome, but my ultimate hope actually is in mm-hmm. that really the goodness uh, of the the God I believe and trust in, and I'm trying my best right now in the dark to follow after. Yeah. And so I thought Charlie's Charlie's celebration of life was epic. I mean, you guys are loved here, have such a great kind of crew. And so it, it was fun to celebrate his life mm-hmm. and to celebrate that that pain was over. And, and yeah. that he had been made whole. And then, so we, we go out, we go out to the gravesite mm-hmm. and um, we want one last kind of celebration, a reminder of the ultimate resurrection that one day all things will be made know, new. One day uh, the old will pass away. There'll be, you know, remembrance of former things and rerooted ourselves in the gospel. And then, uh, and then you guys go home. Yeah. And, um, and now there's, no more doctor's visits. There's no more. There's reminders of him everywhere. There's there's quiet and there's loss. Also, COVID had just hit. Oh, that's right. Like we everything just, shut down right. two days after his memorial. That's right. Golly, I forgot that that was, mm-hmm. yep. that is how that that played out. Oh, uh-huh. my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so now the world's shut down. Mm-hmm. It's dead quiet. It's Jack and his wildness. <laughs> good, beautiful wildness and alone again mm-hmm. in the quiet. I'd, I'd love to, Vince and I have had long conversations, uh, a couple of them now, mm-hmm. about navigating that next, that first year. Mm-hmm. Um, and on, on Vince's side of things, and you feel free to speak up to them, some of the anger he's trying to work through, not just towards God, but even people. Yeah. And a feeling that nobody gets this, nobody understands. So an intensifying loneliness that I know for Vince was working itself out in some anger, mm-hmm. which, and he doesn't like to, he's not going to blow up at anybody, so no. he's stuffing it. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and so talk a little bit about that first few months, maybe even first year, um, and navigating that together with the Lord, with your friends. Well, I will say first off that Vince and I handled it and still handle it so differently. I am a crier. I'm a feeler. I believe the Lord made me that way. And I believe the Lord made Vince 
to feel thing, things just differently than I feel them. Mm. Um, and he shows those emotions differently than I do. It was, it was quiet, but in a weird way, I wanted it to be quiet because yeah. I was having such anxiety about how do I enter back into the world? I had yeah. not been to church in two years. Yeah. No, b- longer than that. Um, no, it was about two. It was after COVID that I was like, what is, I haven't been into the church building, yeah. you know? Because I, I couldn't get sick because I couldn't care for Charlie. And so I I was also struggling with what's my identity now? Because, like, I had probably 15 alarms set for medications throughout the 24 hours, plus a million other things happening um, where I was, like, my sole job was to, like, keep Charlie's medications on track, like, get him to the doctor. Like, that was all I knew for two years. Who am I again? Like, also, I just want to lay in the bed and crawl into the covers. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't because uh, Jack was there and he was four at the time and, or just about to be four. And people don't know you. Like Jack's like, Jack's four is like, I mean, the kid is just boundless energy. Yes. Like he's a wild man. Yes. I love it. But he, he is, has and he It's has, not just four. It's yeah. like Jack Four. Yes. Jack four. Yes. There's he's got his own category. The the number of questions and just curiosity and I mean but coupled with that like energy and joy and like I mean it it saved us. Yeah. But it was painful because yeah. I didn't want all I wanted to do I hadn't slept in two years. All I wanted to do was go sleep. Yeah. And I, it was like, oh, uh, something else didn't go my way. Yeah. Uh, like, I remember knowing, like, okay, he's going to pass. Like, I'll get to go home and rest. No. Mm-hmm. Like, not that rest. Um, but something that was important to me um, and to Vince both was feeling all of the emotions. Like, like you said, the only way through was through. Like, I wanted to... When I was sad, I was going to feel sad yeah. um, because Charlie's life was worth it. Yeah. Um, and I think lament, grieving, I mean, it's a, a gift from the Lord to, to heal because yeah. in, in that you get to take those, those thoughts and those feelings to him, yeah. like the one who can heal them. But there was no rushing it. Like yeah. um, I had to work against numbing the feeling since it was COVID, it was like, well, there's social media or there's walks or mm-hmm. um, I could read, but like I have someone asking me questions every 45 <laughs> seconds. So if <laughs> if that, maybe more frequently. Um, and I had this guilt, um, this awful guilt, and I still struggle with it of like, I can't just tell Jack to go play. Yeah. Because what I would love to do is say, go play with your brother. Yeah. And so to tell him to go play, it felt wrong. It felt like I was trying to get rid of him. I just, I didn't want it to be that way. I wanted him to have someone to go play with. Yeah. I cried a lot and um, I was offered to go back to work. Um, And I was like, I, initially we talked about me taking another year off teaching. But man, I'm glad I didn't. Like um, the principle that I had had, uh, before I took off, offered me a position that I, a second grade position, and I was like, oh, I've always wanted to teach second grade. Like literally, I've tried for ten every years. Every other teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Um, and 
So I was like, okay, this is going to be a, an animal of a different kind. Am I going to be ready for it? If not, I'm just going to stay home and be depressed. Yeah. And so I went back to work and I ended up having to do a virtual pathway. So I was a virtual teacher, which was great because yeah. I could log off of the the Zoom or WebEx and, and cry, honestly. Yeah, cried out. Yeah. yeah. And then um, I didn't have to dismiss any feelings. I could feel them. And then I think for for Vince and I, we we because we grieve so differently, that was another huge thing. It was like, especially in the early days, like I mean, early meaning first six months. Sure. He was battling with anger and and, and like his grief came out as anger. Mm. And he wanted to like work on a project or control something or he was a little more terse maybe it kind of brought back a lot of wounds from our early marriage yeah. of he doesn't care about me. He doesn't love me. I'm annoying him. And like, none of that was on his mind, like none of it. But I was extra insecure. He was extra insecure in his own ways. Mm-hmm. And if, if I was feeling the loss of Charlie and I just wanted to cry and, and it, he didn't respond in the way I wanted him to respond. Well, guess what that has the potential to do? Hurt me even more. Yeah. And so what we what we really had, I mean, by God's grace, it was like literally nothing that, that we could muster at that mm-hmm. point. It was, um, ooh, he just cut me off. I bet he's really having a hard time, like a hard day or a hard four days or a hard seven days. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go pray or take my like grief to, to the Lord. And I'm going to go sing. I'm going to go listen to worship music. And he had to do the same thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember um, the day of his funeral, we go home and somebody actually took Jack. And so Jack wasn't home with us that first day, um, that that afternoon. And so we go home and it's just the two of us. And I remember us sitting on the couch. We just sat down on the couch. There was flowers everywhere and scanning the room. And just seeing Charlie everywhere. Yeah. He had, he had, we called the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. So we had a table full of his, you know, hundreds of medications that he had. Um, the kitchen was full of bottles and things that were needing to be cleaned as far as like how his medication was dispensed. Um, his, his nursery was still in there. Um, and I, I remember how quiet it was. It's just absolutely silent. Because we were just sitting next to each other, and I remember that that silence being there. There are things that remind you about his life. Um, I remember the beep of the EKG, and then it just being just dead silent. Yeah, and uh, I, I just remember to myself as I missed that. I missed that because it reminded me of my boy. Mm-hmm. It reminded me that he was alive. Um, and so that that that's still there. Mm. Yeah. Um, his room is still kind of in place. Um, we kind of store stuff in there now, but it's still basically the way it is. I remember speaking of, you know, how we process things differently. I remember us getting into a fight, uh, because Katie was kind of moving forward mm. and I wasn't really there yet, but I didn't communicate that. And so there's a lot of like medical equipment that we keep that we had for Charlie. And, yeah. you know, he, he had his, um, IV stand and, uh, she like walks out and holds this IV stand. She's like, Hey, can we put this, I'm going to put this in, in the attic. And 
I don't know what I said. I just remember I was really short and I said, no. And she's like, why? I was like, no. And um, she's like, okay. And then. Um, Message received. Yeah. And so <laughs> she puts it back in and um, she kind of received offense by that. And so um, we were obviously fighting at that point. <laughs> and so uh, we went our part of our ways. I went back into Charlie's room and I, I'm holding and I'm looking at his IV stand and I'm, I took out a, um, some baby wipes and I started kind of cleaning it up because I knew I did something wrong. I, I've, I probably been, should have been received my wife a little bit better than that. And um, she comes back in and she goes, hey, is there something wrong? And uh, I remember just breaking down and just sobbing. I was like, I'm just not ready. Yeah. I'm not ready to put this away. Um, I'm not ready to put something in the attic that reminds me of him. Yeah. And I remember even just cleaning up some of the formula spill that was on that um, that IV stand and just like grieving, just wiping that off and cleaning that up. It's just like kind of wiping him away. That's still, like we sometimes, when we're cleaning up, we'll... Move, move a piece of furniture yeah, or something. There, there'll be a bandage yeah. back there. Um, and it just, you know, reminds us Christmas. Like we'll... Every time we open up Christmas decorations, he has a little beanie that's that's got moose ears on it, yeah. moose moose horns on it, and I I break down every time I see that. Sure, um, it's still hard. It's very unexpected in the ways and times that it's hard. Yeah, the things that I thought would be the hardest, like the um, the anniversaries, the um, birthdays. Those are hard, but there are other things that are so much harder. Then it's because they surprise me. I would think being ambushed by them is much harder than yeah. like, like I know this week is a birthday yeah. or is a, and you can kind of prepare for that. But moving the couch and finding—I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole different animal. Um, I would love to, the thing that's been intriguing for me to watch in y'all's life in particular is like, however you, whatever the new normal is going to be, it, it's been, I don't know the right word to use. Um, the word that comes to my mind is proud. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, but to watch you navigate it and then beginning to see you, even though it's, you're still hurting it, this isn't over. This is, it might not ever be over. I don't, oh, think, so. I don't think so. And I don't, don't want it to be. No, to be. Yeah. yeah, I don't want yeah. it to be. But but to watch you now enter in with like the Drakes or yeah. uh, enter in with other families whose kids are sick or yeah. like the Drakes in particular who just lost their son. Yeah. To, to be a, <laughs> to be this refuge for people even when you're still so discombobulated, I, I think it's such a picture of, what, what we just call the long journey home. Like yeah. it, you're, you're not, yeah. you're still struggling, still struggling with the Lord at times, still frustrated, still, you know, catch you on a wrong day and you might say some crazy stuff, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. but then to be able to enter in with such, like, you know, man, it's not like the empathy you have for Jack is like, it's something I can be heartbroken for him, but you, yeah, right? You with Ashley, like you, the way that you have not let what I can't fathom, 
I mean, Thanksgiving 09, I wake up in the hospital, you got a tumor in your brain. I thought, okay, it's me. Yeah. I can do me. Yes. Like I, I don't know that I could do Lauren. I dang sure don't think I could do my kids. Yes. But I can do me per, yeah. per what you were even mentioning. Yep. And just watching uh, felt sacred to me, like a, the kind of grace given to just survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then to see you being put back together slowly, yeah. um, but already being willing to enter into, I, I think, spaces that would have to remind you of stuff that broke your heart the first time. Yeah. Um, I just, like the the theme of the podcast, right, is overcomers. And it's a kind of a, it's it's a weird way. I'm only using that word because it's what Jesus uses in Revelation, mm-hmm. right, to the letters of the churches, to he who overcomes, to he who overcomes, yeah. to he who overcomes. Yeah. There's this idea of overcoming. Um, but being an overcomer is, gosh, it's a lifelong process. And it's it, it part of what I'm trying to show in even these podcasts, like it's just, it's so much messier. It's just not as clean as people want to make it. So here, yeah. I, I know you guys, I, I know that the, the wrestle with the Lord is still very real. You trust him, you love him, you're holding that in your hand. Yeah. He's good. He died for my sins. I love him. Yeah. And then there's this, what the hell was this? Yes. Mm-hmm. That that can't fit neatly in anybody's theological bucket. And I know yeah. somebody's listening right now going, well, actually, Chandler, you did. <laughs> but, but I'm saying it, it's easy for you to hold that before that that gets tested in a kind of way that the floor drops out from under you. Yeah. Yeah. But to watch you still holding those two things while headlong going into other people's darkest hour yeah. has been a really beautiful thing and encouraging. Like I've been proud. It's a it's an evidence of God's grace and mm-hmm. power for me to watch it and be like, oh, he's more powerful than I ever imagined. Yes. Look at this. Yeah. Sorry. Look at this. Yeah. You can't experience it. You can't you you have to go through it. Yeah. You have to go through it. We didn't get we didn't get the choice. Yeah. Like if I would have picked it something different, if the Lord gave me a choice, I would have picked something that was that would have been a lot easier, a lot better. Um, certainly if it had to happen, like I said, Lord, me, not yeah. him. I yeah. would have had that choice and that would have been really easy. And so for for me and for us, there there are a, a myriad of things that we know theologically about the Lord, who he is that Kay was taught over her entire life that I was, that I came to know and, and learned about and knew. And I knew that for myself. She knew that for herself as well. Those, those truths. When you have to apply that to your son who's dying, it's completely different. You really need to believe that you come to a place where you really at a crossroads where it's like, do I really believe these things? And at that point, when you're making that decision, you, you either you either believe it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this is either true or not. Christ's existence, death, burial, and resurrection, that either happened or it didn't. Yeah. And for me to apply that to Charlie. Yeah. Like I, I believe it for myself, but I, do I believe it for him? And so that really that really drove us and drove me, especially afterwards. Yeah. Um, it's like I, I believe it. I have to believe this because I just buried my son. Yeah. And there's only one way that he can be free of that. Yeah. It's because of Christ's resurrection. That had to have happened if he's going to conquer this grave. That's right. So the Lord has gifted us, Katie and I, uniquely and differently. He speaks to Katie through her emotions, her thoughts, her her feelings, through visions, through a word. He rarely does that with me. And I remember he speaks to me kind of in the physical, like I read and I'm you know, I'm thinking through my brain. I'm just kind of in my mind. And um, 
I remember just sitting down one day and I was just kind of all in all in my head. And uh, I just kind of caught this um, illustration, if you will, of um, I used to run 5Ks a lot uh, when I was younger. And um, I caught this vision of me running this 5K race. And the analogy of the race is used in scripture um, many times. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm running this 5K race and I'm kind of at the beginning and I'm running and you kind of, you know, you're just kind of cutting around corners and you're running through your route. And if, if anybody runs races, marathons or anything like that, usually towards the end, you have like the crowd and people kind of cheering you on, right? And then you see kind of the finish line. So what, what I saw in my head and my brain, whatever the Lord gave me was this vision of running towards the end, towards the end, that last stretch of the race. I kind of saw the finish line ahead and along the sides, cheering and clapping were saints. And then what happens in a race when you're running is you kind of pace yourself up until towards the end when you know that the end is coming and you start, what you do is you, you feel like I got reserves. I can pick it up. I got to make that time. And you start, you start sprinting, kind of a dead sprint towards the end, trying to make that time. And when, as I reach towards a dead sprint, hearing the cheers of the saints, I see at the finish line, Christ holding my son. Oh, man. And that, that forever changed me. Sure. It forever changed the trajectory of my life um, to the point where whatever it is that I do from this point forward, it's for eternity and for the kingdom of God mm -hmm. um, in every way that we possibly can. What the Lord brought us through wasn't for ourselves. It was for his glory, and it's to grab others from behind us and pull them along yeah. and saying, hey, the race is almost done. Let's go. Yeah. So with that said, if you're like, here, here'd be a good way to maybe start to wrap up our time. Um, I, I don't know who's listening to this right now. There might not be, there might be a single guy, you know, on his way to school or I, I just don't know. But I have to believe that there are those that are right in the middle of what was your darkest day in this, this, the, the story of the, your boy's life and at the lowest possible moment. And I, I mean, again, like that moment where you're like, I'm not sure I can do this. I don't think I'm going to make it to the other side of this. How, how would you, like, just as we wrap things up, how would you, like, what would you want to say to someone? I mean, you're, you're a couple years out now um, from, from Charlie going to be with the Lord. And like, what would you say back to someone who they haven't lost their kid yet? They, they're, they're just in that, oh my gosh, are, are we going to make it? I don't think I have the strength for this. What yeah. would you what could you say to them that might lift their face today? If I looked back to myself and talked to myself, it's easier back here sure. to look back there. So, but I would say for every pain, for every sorrow, for everything that you think that you're alone in, the Lord knows, and he's actually experienced it. I, there was one point where I was like, God, I, I don't know if I can give him up. I, when I looked to the Lord— I don't look to a God that doesn't know what it's like to give up his son. The father gave up Christ. He gave up Jesus. He knows what that's like. I know what it's like to lay my son on the altar. And so take heart. The father knows. He's done it before. He's been before you. He's experienced all those things before you and he knows. And so you just, you look at the scriptures and you look at what the Lord has done. You're going to find points in time where you have seen saints of old experienced the same things and found hope in the Lord. You're just not alone. 
and there's others out there that know and feel what you feel and then just fight against the lies of the enemy yeah. that will want to isolate you. He's going to want to isolate you. He's going to want you to feel like no one else knows, no one else experiences this, or no one, like, you're not alone. Anything you would add to that, Katie? People that are listening, they're going through through different situations, maybe some similar, maybe some vastly different. At the core of what we're going through, it boils down to the world is broken, and we've never felt it more than we feel it now, I, I think, as a as a— um, society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that I heard my whole life. But when I stopped and thought about like, why is Charlie sick? Well, it's because his cells don't work. Like down to a cellular level, the world is broken. Yeah. It's not just relationships are fragmented or, you know, sin is this like abstract idea. Like it is a broken world. And that is the exact reason that God sent Jesus to the earth. That is like, we have hope only in him, only in him. And I just, I pray that like, even as I say that, it sounds like another trite saying. Yeah, It's just not, it's yeah. not a trite saying. Yeah. And I just pray that, that those listening, um, that the Holy Spirit reveals that in a way that is new yeah. or clearer. Another thing I saw you guys do, and I think I still continue to see you do, um, is not not play the game with the Lord where you're not giving to him what's actually going on in you. Um, and, and what I mean when I say that is like you're not trying to make it prettier than it is. And so I've never known you to, you know, have what I would call finitis, you know, when people are like, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine if you're not. Yeah. Um, and so I think one of the places I've seen you model well is Vince, when you're angry and thrashing, you, you've you taken that to the Lord. It's yeah. You've gone to the Lord with that anger thra- and thrashing. And mm-hmm. Katie, when you felt depressed and all alone, it's you've taken it to him. And so rather than feeling shame over the anger and depression, I mean, and certainly there was some of that, you took the shame and the anger or the depression and brought it right to him and said, you, you've got to fix this. This is, I'm, this is where I am and I don't know how to get out. Yeah. And I think the thing that I've watched in awe is the honesty at which you've navigated what I can't get my mind around. Um, and so thank you. Just as a, a pastor here, thank you for being, even for me, a, a, a challenge to faithfulness and a reminder of, you know what? I, it's not just Job that shows me if you lose everything, he's enough. Yeah, I can look to the dangs. I can look to, I'm seeing it across our congregation and yeah. you guys have yeah. modeled that well. It's the Lord's so, faithfulness, man. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. It's all it is. He's so good. So this has been a heavy episode of The Overcomers. I know they won't all feel like this, but this has been a, man, this has been a uniquely heartbreaking one and one still full of hope. And so if you're, you're, you're dialed in and you've made it through all of this and um, you're, you're kind of trying to figure out a place to take your heart and what to do with this or how to think about this. I just want to encourage you. The, the Dangs are yet another example of the sustaining power of God's grace, His presence, and His goodness, even as we walk through things that that we think would probably kill us, that, that we wouldn't be able to survive. And so maybe, maybe you're not walking through that right now, but maybe you're plagued with anxiety that this could be possible or that this might happen. I think what we're getting in this episode 
is just a picture of Jesus is going to be enough, come what may. That doesn't mean that come what may is pleasant or come what may is something that we think we'll blow through. It's that Jesus, the good news of the gospel is not that we get everything we want or things go our way. The good news of the gospel is that we get Jesus and he's going to be enough regardless of life circumstances, even if those life circumstances are are more brutal than we can get our minds around. The mystery of his goodness and sovereign love and grace outweighing the brokenness that we see in front of us. It reminds me of the Spurgeon quote that it's that when I when I cannot see his hand, I've learned to trust his heart. And so thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Overcomers Podcast. Hey guys, Pastor Matt, hope that you enjoyed this episode of The Overcomers. You find your heart more encouraged in the Lord, uh, more dedicated to his kingdom. Uh, Just want to remind you, if you found this helpful in in this season of life, this is what I want to do. I want to encourage your heart. I want to lift up your eyes and and let you behold the beauty of Jesus. Uh, And so on top of The Overcomers podcast, I also started a website, just pastormattchandler.com. And on my website, there, there's all sorts of resources, but but you can also um, sign up for a monthly newsletter where I'm just trying to wring from the scriptures um, encouragement for your souls. And so you, there are two different newsletters. There's one for um, just everyday Christians seeking to be faithful where they are. And then there's a there, there's another newsletter uh, for pastors and church leaders. Uh, and so sign up for either one of those or both of those. Uh, but man, look forward to staying in contact with you. God bless you.